Have you ever had your settled, stable life completely disrupted by one moment? That life was going smoothly, life was simple, life was plain, life was predictable. And then something happens. Something comes in from left field, something blindsides you, something you could never planned or prepared for or expected. And from that day forward, your life looks completely different. We've all had those moments. We've all had those times when something happened that we could never have prepared for, but our lives are almost split into, you know the way we think of B.C. and A.D. before Christ and Anno Domini after the birth? It's almost like our, our lives are split from before that time to, to after that time because it's such a, a pivotal threshold moment in our lives. Some of them are, are good. Maybe you met somebody and fell in love. And from the moment you locked eyes, you knew that life was going to be different. It's 15 years ago next week since we had our first date in the Crawford's Burn-In on the 22nd of August. And I, both of us, I think, knew that night that life was going to be different, better, uh, different. <laughs> and 15 years on, it has been different and it has been better. Maybe you get a call that you weren't expecting offering you an opportunity or a job and you could never have dreamt that this would be yours and suddenly your whole world. Maybe a rich uncle who you hardly knew leaves you 200,000 in his will and your life has turned upside down overnight. Maybe it's something not so good. Maybe it's a health issue. You find a lump. An accident happens. Something happens and, and your life was going along and Everything seemed to be going one direction and then this incident happens and your life is completely turned upside down and inside out. Maybe it's you overhear a conversation or you read a text message and trust is broken. It can happen in jobs, it can happen in church, it can happen in marriages, it can happen in relationships, it can happen in so many parts of our lives. But we have this sense of my life is predictable, I've got goals, I've got ambitions, I've got desires, I've got dreams, and something happens as we're moving towards those and it completely reorients our lives. Sometimes it's things we do ourselves, sometimes it's our own choices, sometimes it's things other people do, sometimes it's things God does in our lives, and sometimes it's just life. But as you look back over your life, and as you get older, you'll have more of these moments. You will have two, three, four key moments in your life that something happened and it completely changed the trajectory of your life forever. This happens a number of times in the life of Moses. We began to look at him last week. This baby born in Egypt 3,500 years ago, born to two Hebrews, but born in a foreign country at a time when the king was becoming increasingly paranoid about this, this race of people who were rising up in his nation. And so he decides he's going to kill the firstborn boy in every family, or any boys that are born in every family. And Moses' parents have a boy and they hold on to him for three months, but he's a crier. He's, he makes a lot of noise, so eventually they, they bring him down to the bulrushes and they put him in a basket because Pharaoh said you had to throw your baby boy in the river. And so they, they keep to it, kind of technically. They throw the baby in the river, but he's in a little basket covered with tar like a little ark. 
And we saw how the sovereign hand of God directed even the current of the water that day. And, and moved the baby through the bulrushes. And the sovereign hand of God brought along Princess Pharaoh. And the sovereign hand of God moved her heart to have compassion on this little one who should have been killed. And so she adopts him as the prince of Egypt. And he's brought up in the royal palace and he's too Hebrew for the Egyptians and he's too Egyptian for the Hebrews. He's caught between two worlds. His whole life he never really seems to fit in. These ones don't like him because he's too much like that. And these ones don't like him because they think he's too much like that. He's a misfit. And we saw how God sometimes will make us feel like misfits in certain places where we don't fit here and we don't fit there and we're not sure if we fit anywhere. We feel like a square peg in a round hole. And there's this tension and we want to resolve it and we want to fit here or we want to fit here. And sometimes God would actually say, no, I made you to be a misfit. I made you not to fit because there's something you can do as a misfit. You will be able to reach people as a misfit that you would never be able to reach if you went to the extremes. And so God brings this baby up in a palace because he knew that one day, years later, a cry would come before him from the slaves in Egypt. And they would cry out for a deliverer. And so 80 years before they cry out, God is already preparing a deliverer. It had to be a, 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 a Hebrew because a Hebrew could set free Hebrews, but it couldn't be a slave because a slave can't set free a slave. <coughs> and so before they even pray a prayer 80 years later, God already has the answer to their prayer in the works. And some of you need to know that again. That the thing you're praying for, God already has it covered. I feel like God wants to say something to that to some of you. God already has it covered. You've heard me share a story many times about how when we left the church in 2016, we had no jobs, we moved to the North Coast, we were unemployed. But we discovered when we got up there that four months before that, there'd been a trustee meeting in a church and the had just felt prompted to say, if Craig and Becky ever move up here, let's put aside a salary so that we can employ them. The four months before we even moved or, or thought about moving there, God had it covered. Amen. Because God sees the end from the beginning and there's prayers that you're going to pray in five years that God is working on the answer now. Amen. <laughs> it says this, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. But he still wants you to ask him because he's a God who partners with his people. He's a God who loves to hear your prayers, loves to hear your desires. And it was when the people of, 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 of the Hebrews cried out in Egypt that God responded with a deliverer. But we saw last week that Moses rushed ahead of God. He saw a Hebrew slave, one of his own people, being beaten by an Egyptian taskmaster and something boiled up within him. Something had been stirring within him. And it came out and, and he thought nobody was looking and so he kills this Egyptian slave master. And he thinks he's gotten away with it but the word gets around and it gets to Pharaoh and Moses has to flee to the backside of Midian. He wanted to do something to rescue his own people and his heart was right but the way he did it was wrong. It was the right thing to do but the timing was wrong. 
He was acting out of anger and frustration, not out of obedience to the will of God. He was controlled by his emotions, not directed by the word of the Lord. God hadn't told him to do this, at least not yet. This was Moses' plan. He was taking matters into his own hand. He was trying to force something God hadn't endorsed. He went before he was sent. And feelings are good. There's nothing wrong with feelings. God created us to have feelings, but we can't be controlled by feelings and emotions. We live in a culture that's dominated by feelings. People used to say things like, I think. Now they say, I feel. And we have to watch everybody's feelings. And we have to be really careful what we say because people's feelings get hurt very easily these days. Everybody's feelings get hurt. And then, I mean, you even get your feelings hurt by people against people who haven't even done anything to you. But your feelings are hurt on behalf of somebody else. Sometimes your feelings are more hurt for somebody else than their feelings are hurt for themselves. Sometimes I'll say to Becky, I got a nasty email. And she gets more annoyed about the nasty email than I do. I normally tell her about a week later. And she's fuming and I'm like, that's fine, you know. If Sharon wants to write me emails, she can write me emails. (laughs) But sometimes you're more upset about something than the other people are. We live in a world where people are controlled by feelings. I always say this, emotions are good indicators, they're terrible dictators. Emotions are good at indicating something. Moses' emotions about the anger and the injustice that he saw, it was a really good indicator, but it was a terrible dictator. And he tried to do God's will, but he tried to do it his way and in his timing. And how often do we do that? Sometimes we want to do something, and even it's a good thing. It can even be a God thing. But it is so important, especially in the bigger decisions and the decisions that affect our lives or affect others, it's so important that we just don't go by, I think it's a good idea, or I feel. But did God say? Did God say? Because God will not bless that which he did not birth. He won't sustain that that he didn't start. And there's been times in my life and times in my ministry when I've thought something is a good idea and I've started it, but when I start it, I have to sustain it and that just becomes exhausting. But when God initiates something, when God births something, he not only starts it, but he gives you the grace to sustain it. And as a church, you know, there's so many things that are good ideas. There's so many times when people come to me with good ideas and they are good ideas. And I said to him, that's a brilliant idea. I'm just not sure it's for now. Why don't we just wait and see what God says about that? Why don't we just wait and see what the Lord says about that? Because we we tend to do two things. We either lag behind God or we run ahead of God. And the Bible says this, keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, when the Spirit's here, you be here. When the Spirit's here, you be here. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Moses rushed ahead of God. He was trying to do the right thing, but in the wrong way at the wrong time. And he ends up having to flee. He he goes on the run. He he becomes a fugitive. And he ends up in this place called Midian. And for the next 40 years, he's looking after his father-in-law's sheep. In the the King James, it says, in the backside 
of the wilderness, literally in the middle of nowhere, Moses spends his days looking after stinking, smelly sheep. A bit of a demotion from being the prince of Egypt to being the guy in the pasture looking at stinky sheep all day. From being someone who everybody looked up to and admired, someone with status and reputation, to being someone with no status and no reputation, because in those days, shepherds were the most despised, lowly group of people. I wonder how often he reflected on what happened back in Egypt. I mean, he had a lot of free time, and when you have a lot of free time, you tend to think about things, overthink sometimes. I wonder how often he thought back about what he had done that day when he had acted on emotion. I wonder how many times he thought to himself, if only, if only I had kept my cool. If only I hadn't overreacted. If only I had shut up. If only I had kept my head down. How different things would be. What was I thinking? You know, we do that, don't we? We replay our worst moments in our minds. Maybe it's only me. It's amazing how a thought can come up from something that happened 20 years ago. And you think, where did that? And it's something you did, a failure, a, a, a mistake. A, a, and it, it's as if it was yesterday. It's like someone had play on the, record, the video recorder. Listen to me, 1980s boy. On the wireless. No, um, somebody hit play and, and, and it's as real as it was. And emotions come with it. And I wonder how often Moses thought about that time and how things could have been and should have been different if only. He thinks his best days are behind him. He has memories of the past, but he doesn't have many dreams for the future. He's a has-been. He had so much promise and potential, but he had messed it all up. There had been this sense of destiny on his life. He had known it growing up. His mother had told him about his miraculous saving at the river. He knew there was a sense of destiny, but now it was all gone. It was all history because he had messed up. Look where he's ended up, in the middle of nowhere. This wasn't how he had envisioned his life. But it is what it is. I guess that's all God has for him. And I'm sure there's a sense of disappointment that this wasn't the way it was meant to turn out. And I meet people who look at their lives and they feel disappointed. They're grateful for what God has done, but it hasn't turned out as they planned. It hasn't turned out as they hoped. They had dreams, they had plans, they had ambitions. They had hopes for the future and they look at their life now and they look at what they planned and their life looks very different from what they'd hoped it would look. And disappointment can fill that gap between our expectation and our experience. And Moses thought God was done with him. Moses thought God was finished with him because Moses was finished with Moses. (laughs) Moses was finished with Moses. And here's what I've discovered Sometimes Craig is more finished with Craig than God is. Sometimes I give up on myself before God does. I wouldn't pick me. I wouldn't choose me. And you wouldn't choose you, hopefully. 
But what I've discovered is that that God is more ready to forgive you than you're ready to forgive yourself sometimes. That God is more gracious to you than you're gracious to yourself. That God gives you more chances than you would ever give yourself. That God chooses people that you would never choose. Moses is living in the backside of nowhere, thinking God is done with him, God is finished with him. This is his life now, looking after sheep. He's been doing it for 40 years, and it's boring, but it's safe. It pays the bills. This is all I've got to look forward to. But we see that God hasn't finished with him yet. And one morning he gets up, it's an ordinary day, just like every other day. He gets out of bed, brushes his teeth, has his ready break, and goes out for a 16-hour shift in the field. But little does he know on this ordinary day, God is going to break in, and he's going to have one of those pivotal transition threshold moments that he couldn't have planned or he couldn't have expected. He wasn't at a prayer meeting. He wasn't at a prophetic conference. He wasn't at church. He was in a wilderness and God met him and God changed his life. Look at verses 1 to 4 of Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of his father, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Um, we started looking at this last week where Moses is in the wilderness and there's a bush on fire, which isn't that unusual. But we saw last week that it says that it was only, it wasn't when Moses saw the bush, it was only when he stopped that God spoke. And we talked about how in our lives God is speaking to us so often, much more than we realize, but we're too busy and we're too distracted. And sometimes there's little burning bushes in front of us, but we're trying to get somewhere or we're listening to something or we're focused on something else. And there's these burning bushes in front of us and God's trying to get our attention. And we say, God never speaks to me. He's been speaking to you constantly, but you miss it. Now, not everything is God, but more things are God than we realize. There was a wee illustration I'd forgotten to share last week where there was a time, probably about two years ago, where I was just feeling really discouraged about feeling that there just wasn't enough fruit in, our, in my life, there wasn't enough fruit in our church, that we were seeing a lot of good things, but I just was, I was frustrated that I wasn't seeing the fruit that, that, that I'd wanted to see. And one day I'm in the car, I've left Elijah off at school, I'm coming back and I'm, I'm just feeling a bit flat and a bit like, God, we want to see more fruit. And I'm sitting in the car and I'm sitting in traffic and I'm frustrated because I want to get someone... And I look up and there's a lorry in front of me and I'm like, well, I just, lorry, move on. And would you show the lorry? I took this from, a, I was stuck in traffic so I wasn't driving. It says Coonies. And what does it say at the top? Yeah, turning the harvest to amber. And I'm frustrated about the lack of fruit in my life. And it was one of those moments where where God is right in front of me, but I could have totally missed it. I mean, what's the chances? 
Not everything's God, but sometimes it is. Not everything's a burning bush, but sometimes it is. And if we will only give God our time and our attention, it's amazing how much God will speak to us. Why a burning bush? Of all the ways God could have shown up, why a burning bush? I think it shows us two things, and this is what I want to share today, and then I want to finish with one small thing, and we're done. It was a burning bush because it shows us what God is like. The burning bush shows us what God is like. Look at Exodus 3, 2 again. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the flames of fire from the bush. Moses saw that though the, fire was, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Think about the fire you have at home. What does it need? It needs fuel. It needs coal or it needs logs or it needs gas. Much more expensive last year than it had been for previous years. But you need to keep it topped up. If you don't keep it topped up with fuel, eventually the flame goes out. To keep it burning, you need to keep adding more and more fuel. It needs air. It needs oxygen. It needs a source. It needs a flame to light it, to start it. But what about this burning bush in the wilderness that Moses sees? Nobody lit it. It wasn't like somebody you know, got up half an hour before Moses and went down and, and, and lit this bush to, to surprise him when he came along. It was just there. It was self-existent. But here's the main thing. It burns and it burns and it burns and it burns and it burns, but it doesn't need anyone or anything to keep it burning. It's totally self-sufficient. And our God is totally self-sufficient. God doesn't need fuel and he never runs out of fuel. The Bible tells us that our God is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He's so powerful and glorious and mighty and pure and awesome. He can't consume anything, but our God cannot be consumed by anything. He is completely self-sufficient and he is completely self-existent. When anything else is on fire, it changes. It burns up. It's refined. It's reshaped. It's remolded. It becomes ash. But when God burns, he doesn't change one bit because God is a consuming fire. He never runs out of fuel. He doesn't need any source to keep on burning. His glory never dims. His beauty never fades. You know, fire is good. Fire provides heat. Fire provides light. You can cook with fire. Fire is a really good thing. God came in a pillar of fire to guide the, the Hebrews through the wilderness. So fire can guide. Fire can be really good. But here's the thing about fire. You don't mess with fire. You don't mess with fire. Don't play with matches. Isn't that what we say to kids? Remember when I was younger? It was one of those really hot summers. And there was a field beside us in Jervis Street where they used to have the bonfire. And my friend and I got magnifying glasses just to see what would happen if you let the sun shine through the magnifying glass onto the dry grass. And it was wonderful because a little spark came and a little flame came, but the grass was so dry that eventually the entire field went on fire. And we had to slip up to the bridge to the telephone box and dial uh, anonymously for the fire brigade to come. Not sure if I've ever told my parents that, but they, they know it now. Um, but I discovered one, that day that fire is dangerous, that, that, that you don't mess with fire. And you know what? You don't mess with God. Yes, he's good and he's faithful. He's our father, but he is holy, holy, holy. 
You don't treat fire casually and you don't treat God casually because our God is a consuming fire. You don't mess with the holy God. Look at what we read immediately after this. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals. Take off your crocs. Throw them in the fire because crocs are awful. That's in the message translation. For the place where you're standing with an ongoing thing. For the place where my son wants to buy crocs, I will disown him. Um, then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. Is anybody wearing crocs? <laughs> the God of Isaac. There's prayer at the back. The God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God says, don't come any closer because the place where you're standing is holy ground. It looks like normal dirt. It looks like normal earth. It looks like normal stones and soil, but it is holy ground. Why? Because God is there. And when God is somewhere, an ordinary place becomes a holy place. There's no such thing as a holy place. There's no such thing as a holy person. There's no such thing as a holy priest. There's no such thing as a holy church. There's no such thing as a holy anything unless God dwells within it. But when God dwells within it, he makes it holy. And when God dwells within you, he makes you holy. He takes the unholy and he comes and lives within you and he makes you holy. When God dwells within a building, even if it's an old, ugly, waterboard building like this, God makes it a holy place. His presence comes and it becomes like a thin place where that division between heaven and earth is thin. And we sense the presence of the Lord like we did this morning. Not because we're working it up, not because we're stirring it up, but because a holy God comes into an ordinary place and he makes it a holy place. And Moses is in a dirty wilderness and God says it's not a dirty wilderness, it's a holy place. And God wants to say to you, you look like you're in a wilderness, you look like you're in a mess, you hate your workplace, your family looks like a mess, your, your job looks like a mess, your finances look like a mess. But if you will invite me into that place, I will make that mess a holy place because when I come in, my presence transforms everything into a holy place it's a holy place and Moses realises that and he takes off his shoes as an mark of humility and respect and he covers his face because he realises that he's encountered the otherness of God he realises that this is not just a talking bush but this is the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of his forefathers, the God that he has heard about so many times. And he realizes that God is holy and he is not. And if he gets too close, he will burn. And so he takes off his shoes and he covers his face. And when God's holiness and when God's glory and when God's presence shows up in here, we need to respond. In some way. We mightn't take off our shoes. Please don't. Most of you. Um, you know, you mightn't cover your face, but sometimes you'll just sit down. Sometimes you'll kneel. Sometimes you'll raise your hands. Sometimes you'll just be still. Sometimes you'll just be silent. But when the presence of God and the, the holiness of God comes into your room, there's got to be some response. Just like today, just as we came to the end of worship, I just sensed there was something in the room that we needed to push into a little bit more. I spend most of my time in the last few songs of worship just saying, Lord, what are you doing in the room? How do we respond to what you're doing? And I kept having that song, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. And that's what I was standing up here. But we, we've got to respond to the holiness of God. When God comes into the room, we've got to respond somehow. And Moses responds. 
So the, the burning bush tells us something about God, that he is completely self-sufficient and self-existent. He doesn't need anything or anyone. Later on, when Moses says, who will I say sent me? God says, just tell them I am has sent you. In Hebrew, we translate it as Yahweh. Some versions translate it as Jehovah. I am. It was the covenant name of God. I am. Like the burning bush, I am. I have no beginning. I have no end. I just am. I have always been. I will always be. I am. I've always burned. I'll always burn. I'll never burn out. I am. That's who I am, Moses. The eternal I am. And I am is more than enough for anything you're not. (laughs) I am is more than enough for any place where you lack. Because he is I am. And you might say I'm not. And he says that's okay because I am. I am who I am. And I'm more than enough for anything you need. And secondly, the burning bush maybe teaches us about Moses and about ourselves. That you can burn without burning out. You can burn without burning out. You see, 40 years before this, Moses was on fire. He was fiery. He was passionate. He had a temper. He was angry. He was on fire. He burned with frustration and anger at the injustice he had witnessed. He was emotional. He was impulsive. He was hot-tempered. He was feisty. He shone brightly. Everybody looked at the prince of Egypt. He was royalty. He was a somebody. He was maybe a little bit full of his own self-importance. He maybe relied on his upbringing and his education and his status and how people looked at him. He was wired for action. He was on fire. He was impressive. But here's the thing. He quickly burned out. Moses had burned well, he had burned brightly, and then he had burned out very quickly. And by the time we meet him here, he's lost his way a bit. He's looking after sheep. He's not exactly on fire anymore. He has settled into a very normal, comfortable, boring, predictable life. He's lost his edge. He's resigned himself to being worn up, used out, and finished. That he's done. He thinks he's too old, it's too late. God couldn't do anything with him anymore. And yet I think God says to him through this burning bush, I'm going to ignite you once again, but this time, Moses, you're going to burn with my fire and you're not going to burn out. You're going to burn with holy fire. You see, there's a fire that we can, we can start within ourselves. There's a fire. Some of us are more fiery than others. But there's a fire of passion, there's a fire of emotion, there's a fire of of working something up within ourselves, of, of persevering. But then there's a holy fire. Because our fire will burn out where God's holy fire keeps burning. You know, seven or eight years ago, I'd been ordained for about 10 years at that stage, and I'd burned brightly. For five years on Lurgan, I'd burned brightly. For 18 months, I'd looked after one of the biggest parishes in Ireland. I'd worked, I prided myself on working 16 hours a day, seven days a week during the vacancy just to get everything done. I'd started a service in the Jethro Centre from scratch and grown to a couple of hundred young, you know, the bishop was starting to notice me. I was being asked to speak. I was burning brightly. 
And then we went to Dublin to take on a church that was about to close with about 50, 60 people in. And I burned brightly and I poured my life into it. We poured ourselves into it and I burned brightly and the church grew and grew and grew and grew. And everybody who needed me, I burned brightly for them. And I got up on a Sunday and I burned brightly and I, I burned bright. And then I burned out. And about 2015, I had a wall where the fire just went out. On a Sunday, I could get up and stir up human emotion, but inside there was no fire anymore. I was going through the motions. And then very few people there realized it, but my wife realized it and God realized it. I had burned and I had burned and I had burned and I had burned, but I had burned out. And the reason I'd burned out was this, that a lot of it had started just becoming my energy, my strength, my ministry, what I needed to do, what I felt people expected me to do, responding to needs, responding to fires, putting out fires instead of igniting the fire in my own heart. I was burning, burning. I was like a disco inferno. I was burning. But then I burned out. And there was just a pile of ash left. I didn't burn out because of sin. I didn't burn out because of lack of zeal. I didn't burn out because of lack of passion. I burned out because I just didn't know when to stop to get refueled. I didn't know when to stop to get refueled. And it simply wasn't sustainable. And like me, you can burn, but if it's your own fuel or if you're not going to God for fuel, you will burn out. Your fire will grow dim. Your fire will burn out. Your fire will grow cold. And I've known so many Christians throughout the years who have burned at the start. (laughs) They've burned passionately. You actually say they're on fire for God. That's a phrase we use sometimes. And then you meet them 5, 10, 15 years later and they're just dull behind the eyes. And you start talking about church and God and they just kind of avert their gaze. And something has happened along the way that they've lost their passion, they've lost their zeal, they've lost their joy. The fire was there but the fire is gone and they've burned out. And Moses had burned out. And he thought that God was finished with him. And at 40, 41 years old, I I thought God was finished with me. I really did. I genuinely thought maybe this is it. Maybe my best days are behind me. Maybe I'll go and do something else. I'll do a different job. I had a lot of good memories of the past, but I hadn't many dreams for the future. And that's where God met me. And his mercy and his grace and his kindness. Over the period of about a year, God met us. He restored us. He rebuilt us. He refreshed us. He renewed us. And he reignited us. And what he has done in the seven, eight years since, I could never have dreamt about. You know, the Bible says that he's able to do above all you can ask or imagine. I could never have imagined some of the things God's done in the last eight years. And you know what? I'm only getting started. Moses is 80 here. I've got a few years yet. 
But here's what I discovered. That I need to keep going back to the source to keep burning. I need to keep going back to the flame so that the fire stays lit in my own heart. See, Moses has this encounter with God, but it is not the last encounter he has. If you follow the story of Moses through Exodus, you will discover that he keeps going back into the tent to meet with God. He keeps going up to the mountain to meet with God. He keeps drawing aside from the crowd to meet with God. Because Moses had learnt in the first 40 years of his life that he can't keep the fire burning himself. But that there is a fire that continues to burn and if you get close enough to that fire, he will keep you burning. And that's what I've discovered. That I just need to keep going back to the source. I need to keep going back to the burning one. I need to keep going back and having encounters with God. See, Moses had heard about God. He knew that God was the God of his forefathers. He had had knowledge about God, but he had never encountered God until this moment. And his head knowledge becomes heart knowledge and he's transformed. And it's one thing to know about fire. It's one thing to study fire. It's one thing to watch fire. It's one thing to watch others burn. It's another thing to get close to the fire yourself and experience the flames for yourself. I need his fire. I need a fresh encounter with God. Moses realized that if he was going to do what God was calling him to do, he would need to keep going back to God. You know, when Moses kept burning. For the next 40 years of his life, as he led these stubborn Hebrews through the wilderness, he never lost his fire. He failed now and again. He messed up. He wasn't perfect. But he kept the fire lit. And I have discovered in my own life that I need to keep coming back to God. Otherwise, the fire goes out. I need encounters with God. When we talk about encountering God, very often we point to the day we became a Christian years ago. Can I say to you, that's amazing, that's wonderful, cherish that. But if that's the last encounter you had with God, you need a fresh encounter with God. I need a fresh encounter with God. We need a fresh encounter with God. We really do. On Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, towards the end, Jamie said, if anyone in the room needs a fresh encounter with God, fresh touch from God. Would you stand up and others will pray for you? And my eyes had been closed at that point, but I immediately stood up and I don't know, for some reason I think I assumed everybody in the room was standing up, but then I realized quickly that only a few of us had stood up and people gathered around me and they were praying for me. And I had a number of thoughts going through my mind, but here was one of them. I wonder what the people praying for me are thinking. I wonder if they think that there's something wrong with me. I wonder if they think that I've burnt out. I wonder if they think that I've lost my passion. And I began to get more concerned with what the people praying for me were thinking than the words they were actually praying. And I began to think, I wish I just never stood up. I mean, I wonder could I kind of, while they're still praying, I wonder could I kind of gradually sit down. And then I came to this realization. I need a fresh encounter with God. I need a fresh encounter with God. 
And the only thing that would keep me from pressing into that would be my own ego and my own pride. And we all need fresh encounters with God. I don't know where you are right now, but I know many of us, we remember a time when we used to burn more than we do now. We remember a time when people would have said, you were on fire, but now they would say, you're a nice Christian. (laughs) And I believe God wants to come this morning and I believe he wants to reignite his fire in our hearts. And it doesn't have to be some big mystical, supernatural experience like a burning bush. It can come when you are driving home. It can come when you're praying in your room. It can come when you're reading the scriptures. It can come in all sorts of ways. But I do believe that the Lord wants to reignite the fire in our hearts. If that fire has grown dim, if the flames aren't as bright as they used to be, I believe that God wants to come and reignite the fire in your heart. Because I've seen my best efforts and they're not that impressive. And I've seen what God can do. And it's always more than enough. I need the fire of God. I need the fire of God to purify me and cleanse me and refine me. I need the fire of God to set me ablaze with passion and joy and zeal. But here's the thing, I don't want to burn out. I want to be 50. Goodness, I've just realized that's two years from now. I used to say that like it was like way out there. I want to be 60. 70, 80, and if the Lord spares me, 90. And I want people to look at me and go, he's on fire. And I want people to look at Hope Church and go, they're on fire. They may not be perfect. They may still mess up. But there's the fire of God there.